Father, we bless you. We thank you. We come before you uh, worshiping in song, in wonder of how majestic a maker, how marvelous a savior, and what a great salvation. Father, I pray for all of us this morning that uh, that that salvation, the 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 beginning act, we've we've uh, we've seen profession that 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 act has taken place in the young man Bradley. I pray that we would all agree. And that we would all understand that it does not, cannot stop there. But that you do, you do transform us for your purposes. And there is a purpose. Father, I pray that you would, uh, again, as you've done so graciously, lead us into worship. Let us see your word. Let us take it from here. And let us do what it says. In your name we pray. Amen. Last week, uh, I had the, the privilege again to, to speak to you. Um, and the, the, the topic, as, as this week will also be, uh, it, engaging your world. And last week, I subtitled the, the, the message, Rules of engagement. This is an extension of that. Uh, last week we looked mainly at the negative or the do not aspect of being prepared to engage our world uh, with the gospel. And now I'd like us to spend some time looking at the positive aspect. Uh, if last week is what we were not to do, let's see what the Bible says we are to do to be ready to engage our world and what awaits us in that battlefield. So please, if you would, open your Bibles with me to Ephesians in chapter 6. And as you do that, if you do that, or when you do that, you will begin to read, uh, beginning in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in, and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this darkness, of the, in this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in, in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. First of all, let's see where our strength lies. In the very first part, finally be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. We've sung some songs this morning about the might of God and the power of God and His majesty. 
Our strength in this battle, and it is a battle, comes not from ourselves and not from within ourselves, but it is the power of the Lord and His mighty power. Not ourselves, but the Lord. This is critical because many times we do attempt and to attempt engagement of the enemy that we battle in our own strength is folly. It is, it is a lost cause. We simply do not have the right stuff in ourselves. When I, when I, was, when I was younger, we had contemporary music too. But it's not the same music as now. But there was a contemporary song that I used to like to sing with some of my, some of my friends. Uh, and it, it went something like this. The, the, at least the first verse did like this. It said, Are we walking into the enemy's camp, laying our weapons down, shedding our armor as we go and leaving it on the ground? We've got to be strong in the power of his might to prove to the enemy we are the army of the Lord and he's won the victory. Now we walk out of here and we walk through our lives, many of us, myself included, many times I walk through my life and I don't recognize that victory. The victory is won, not of ourselves and not by us, but Christ has won the victory. And where did he win it? He, he won it on the cross. And it was assured and affirmed when he was raised from the dead. The victory's done. He's battled death and hell and won. But we walk through our world not saying anything, not telling anyone, not engaging our world as if we were victors but engaging our world as if we had something to be ashamed of so often. He's won the victory. It's His victory. We are the army of the Lord. And that's my answer to so why battle. If He's won the victory, if the victory is His, then so why battle? And what I came up with when, as I thought of this was another hymn. I think of hymns a lot. My father was a minister of music. I grew up with music. And the hymn that, that, that jumped out at me has a phrase in it that says, Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He's won the victory. The battle is his. Because we're in his army, we join the battle. But that runs ahead just a little bit. Secondly, put on the full armor of God. And this is the full armor. We need all of it. Now, I, I believe probably that many of you have been in battle before in the military. If not that, at least in training. And no reasoning soldier would go into battle without a weapon or a helmet or, or a bulletproof vest. They would not do it. That would mean sure death. It takes both offensive and defensive preparation to be successful in the battle. And it can't be the armor of just any design. It has to be the full armor and it has to be the armor of God. It reminded me uh, of a passage uh, in 1 Samuel. Do you guys remember uh, the story about uh, David and Goliath? You guys heard that story growing up, right? In the story of David and Goliath, do you remember what happened before David went out to battle? It's really kind of funny, really humorous if you can draw a picture of it in your mind. David, little shepherd boy, 
He's sent by his father. Go take your, take, take your brother some bread. Go take him some cheese. And he goes to the battle. The Philistines are on one side of the hill. The, the army of Israel is on the other side of the hill. And this big dude comes out every day and screams at the, the, the army of Israel and defames God's name. And David is incensed by this. He says, why doesn't someone go out there and show that uncircumcised Philistine who God really is? And everyone looks at him. And this guy's big. Huge. And so David says, I'll do it. His brothers reprimand him and say, you just want to show off. David says, that's okay, I'll do it. So he goes to Saul. And what does Saul want to do with him? This is kind of funny to me. Saul, the king of Israel, says, go right ahead to a little boy. He says, but take my armor so you'll be protected. David puts the armor on, and I just envision he puts this thing on, and the head thing drops all the way to his chin, you know, and the, and the, and the, the armor is this big old stuff just hanging off of him, you know, and his, his, his arms stick out about right here. So he's standing there like this with his armor on. And his response is, I cannot go in these. I am not used to them. I can't battle in these. I'm not used to them. I can't fight this way. It doesn't fit me. So should our response be to the pull of so-called easy believism and and just give Jesus a try evangelism. We are not used to them. Only the full truth of a victorious Savior will do. He has won the victory. The appropriate response to so great a salvation is not truce. It is unconditional surrender. And that's what we must impress on our world. And that is our hard task. And we don't battle just one foe. Look at what it says. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, that's a lot to bite off. It was for me, at least. We don't only battle one foe, and our battle is not on a level that can be seen by the watching world. We battle rulers, authorities, and powers of darkness at work in this world. And if that were not enough, the battle is of spiritual proportions. And we're the draftees of the Most High God. There's an old hymn again that this calls to mind. And the first verse is like this. There's a royal banner given for display to the soldiers of the King. You know this song? Does anyone, do any of you know this song? And as incense fair we lift it up today, while as ransomed ones we sing. And the chorus goes marching on and the, the guys give a, get, get a cool part. They go on, on, on. It's great. Marching on, on, on. And then the next phrase is, for Christ count everything but loss. And to crown Him King we'll toil and sing neath what banner? The banner of the cross. That's our banner. That's what we march out into battle with in front of us. The cross of a risen Savior who gave His life for us as a ransom for us. He bought us back. He transformed our lives. He made us new. The old is gone. The new is here. And we are His mouthpiece. We are the voice. We are His ambassadors. We represent Him. We're in the army of the Lord. We're drafted in and grafted in. And we are to battle. We are to march 
on and march on. And for Christ, count everything but loss. Our reputation, what people will think of us, how people will look at us, who we can interact with. All things are lost for the cause of Christ and who He is and what He did. That is so great a salvation. And that is how wonderful this salvation is. We cannot keep silent. We have the ministry of reconciliation. And we have the message. And we must get it out. Do we have the picture? Put the first picture up. Is that? Anybody know what those are? Come on, Ben. You know what those are. What are they, Ben? That's the Marine Corps insignia of the enlisted Marines. That's the, Marine, that's the whole group of the enlisted United States Marines. And just as soldiers of the United States wear these insignia that describe and, and, and tell about their office, so those in the army of God are given a banner to display. What is that banner? Is it an insignia? Do we get a tattoo? Do we put CF on our shirts? We do, sometimes. <laughs> but that's not the insignia. The insignia is our very lives. It is what the world will see when we walk out of here. It's what they'll see in the grocery store. It's what they'll see at the school. It's what they'll see at work. It's what they'll see when you bang your finger with a hammer. That's rough, huh? It's what they'll hear when you bang your finger with a hammer. It is our very lives. It is how we live those lives. That's the banner that we put on display every day in every situation. And why is this? Why is, this, why is it important for us? It says, put on, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything... Put on the full armor, gotten prepared, engaged in battle to stand. When you've done it all and you're still standing, that's when this banner will be best displayed and most evident. All of us, all of us, we know that the Word tells us that we all go th- will go through trials. We all will go through tribulation. It's a thing that God does in, 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 in tempering those who are in His army. And it's how we will stand and how we will walk and how we will live through those things as we engage the battle that really tells whether we're His or not. And what about this day of evil? So that you may stand when the day of evil comes. Ephesians 5, 15, and 16 was written over a thousand years ago. And listen to what it says. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Not will be evil. They are evil. They were evil a thousand years ago. They They were evil when God looked down and saw the world at the time of Noah. They were, the evil has always been here. 
and the evil is strong, and the battle is on, and the game is afoot, and the time is now. Engage. Engage the battle. No soldier stands by the battle, by the side of the battle, and watches it all go on. And if they do, we have a word for that. We either call him a traitor or a coward or both. Let us not be known as Christians as traitors and cowards. Let us stand firm. Let us put on the full armor, all of it, and stand our ground. What is your ground? What is your ground? Say it. Your ground is God. That's what we stand on. What are you defending, fathers? What are you defending, moms? What are you defending, young people? Children? That's your ground. That's what you defend. The battle is joined. It's on. We have to engage. Finally, stand firm. There's a list here. I like lists. They sometimes make it easy. Let's look at this list. It says we're supposed to do what? Put on the full armor of God. Stand firm then with the belt of truth. Buckle around your waist. The belt of truth. Now, I, I, want us to, I, I want us to try to contextualize ourselves a little bit. I got this out of my way. Okay? Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. Many of you know, some of you don't, that he would have been writing from prison to the church in Ephesus. When he was under house arrest, there was an armed guard there with him in the home. He would have been able to, and probably would have, had a great view of this guy a lot of the time of the day. So he begins to write. He says, put on, gird yourself with a belt. Now this, this girding thing for the Roman soldier was quite an involved deal. The first process was this thing called girding. And I, read, I looked this up to kind of see what, what we were talking about here. The, the Roman soldier, the, the, the standard fare in dress for, for Romans was about a knee-length tunic. A kind of a tube of material. Okay, for men, no sleeves, I don't know for sure about women, but I saw some pictures of what they think it looked like. And to gird was to take this material, roll it up about thigh length, pull it real good and tight around yourself, okay, and take this here and put it between your legs and grab it up and bring it around and tie it off to the front. Okay, guys, it's kind of like a long diaper. <laughs> All right? And that's what girding was for these guys. And the Roman soldier would do this actually before he put his belt on. And the reason he did it was because you, you, you basically couldn't run with this thing on all the way down to your knees. You, you certainly didn't want to have it hanging down there so it could snag on something or catch on something while you were in battle. This was to improve the mobility and agility of the soldier. 
tucked this thing around and tied it up good and tight so that he so that he he didn't he got rid of basically he got rid of all the stuff that could hinder him and keep him from being able to be be mobile and agile and ready to do battle and so it is the same with us one part of what Paul is trying to tell us is to secure anything that might cause us to stumble or fall when moving quickly in the Christian battle. When we engage, we have to be lithe and and quick and ready to go. And so, in preparation for this, Paul says, get this picture in your mind, uh, church in Ephesus, of the Roman soldier preparing for battle. And the first thing he's going to do is he's going to get rid of these, this, this thing that could, could hinder him, could bind him up, could cause him to stumble. That's the first thing. The second thing, the breastplate of righteousness in place. We have a picture of the breastplate. At least that's two of them that I got. Common on the left, and this, this is called a, a Caesar's plate. The breastplate was the most critical piece of defensive weaponry in the Roman legionnaire owned. It protected the torso and thus the vital organs and major arteries of the body and the soldier would be defenseless in the real heat of battle without it. So it is with us. Righteousness comes from God by His grace and the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And without this imputed righteousness, we cannot hope to stand. In fact, we won't even try. We won't even try. Without that imputed righteousness that comes from through the blood of Christ to the Christian. The world will not stand against the devil. The world will not stand against sin. The world will not even try to dissuade itself from sin. Oh yes, the world will have some decent people who might do some good things sometimes, but there's no way to please God and no way to engage this battle because it's spiritually seen and there is no spirit in the dead. But we are alive. And we have to put this stuff on. We put the breastplate on. We put it on because it's important. This is the righteousness of God. And with that righteousness covering us, we're protected. And that's the protection that Paul wanted them to see. The feet fitted with the gospel of peace. Romans 10, 15 says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This quotation, by the way, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news is from Isaiah 20, 52, 7. Where it says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Who proclaim peace. Who bring good tidings. Who proclaim salvation. Who say to Zion, your God reigns. Now, we heard, and I love that series, the... the the I don't remember what the series was called, but it was about the, the, the washing of the feet and Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And we talked about stinky feet, okay? And how nasty fishermen's feet and that kind of stuff. In, in, the, in the world of, of Israel and also in the world of Rome, uh, the tradition was that if someone, say, came into your home or someone came in from off the street, you gave them a bowl or a dish of water to wash their feet off. Okay? This was considered the dirty part. The dirty part of, of, the, of, the, of the anatomy. 
If everything else, and, and Jesus even says, when, when he's asked, he's, when, when Peter says, you'll not wash my feet, he says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me, then wash all of me. If, if a person is clean, all he needs to do is wash his feet, is what Jesus says. And that was a tradition, that was the way that, the, that not only the, the Hebrew world was, but the Roman world also, washing feet, because they were the dirty part. Um, but in this passage that, that I just read out of, out of, the, of uh, Romans and in Isaiah, it says even the feet of those who bring this good news are beautiful. Even the feet of those who bring this good news of the gospel of Christ, of gospel of peace, are beautiful. And that's fitting your feet with the gospel of peace it's not, just, it's not only to make you beautiful, but we, we remember that also the Word teaches us that as we bring this gospel of peace, it will be an aroma of death to some and an aroma of sweetness and life to others. And, it's that those, it's those, and there are those out there who, this, who, who will have the aroma of sweetness and life. When you engage them. And that is, that is what this is. To fit your feet with the gospel. And also look at that. It says in my, in my version it says fit your feet. Your feet fitted. That means basically it does fit. Now the, the, the Roman sandal was not tailored. You know it was, it was a kind of a one size fits all but not all the same type deal. Kind of like the socks one size fits all. Yeah well. Or one, you know, I was thinking, just, it br- comes, brings to mind people like LeBron James and those basketball players. And if I tried to put on one of their socks, it, it might fit, but it wouldn't fit the same as them. And that's what, this, that's what this picture is. All of us have a distinctive, not method, but a distinctive avenue in our world to sharing the gospel. And we need to we need to de- to develop that ability. This is not a pitch. This is not a hawking. This is not a sale of the word. This is an engagement, not not for effect, not for emotion, but for truth, and for the glory of God. So fitted with the gospel, feet fitted with the gospel. Next is the shield of faith. Here are two types of Roman shields. Uh, one is the legionnaire's shield. That's the, the big one that wraps around. The other one is a centurion's shield. Uh, this item was critical to the Roman foot soldier because of their training and the method of fighting that they used. By itself, with one individual, it made one soldier formidable in defense. But what they would, would do was they would get together, especially a legion, and they would... They would walk side by side so closely that those, these big rounded shields would touch edge to edge and then all the way back down the side. They were basically a human tank. And the guys on the inside would take their shields and hold them up like this. Okay, So they just became this encased in shielding. And, and that's the picture that, that would have come up here. Um, side by side, marching. Our faith links and aligns us with one another. As we faithfully share the truth of God's grace, we do not do it alone. Just as Jesus taught His disciples in John 4, 
starting in verse 35, do not say four months more than the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop of eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper are glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, the other reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. In the work of sharing the gospel, none of us is an island. And none of us, and I'm going to say this, and I hope that it frees your spirit up. None of us is responsible for making sure that anyone is saved. Because basically, we can't do it. Not basically, truthfully. We can't do it. We save no one. God saves, and God alone saves. But we do have the message and the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to Himself through Jesus Christ. That's the message that we have. That's the message that we walk out of here every Sunday with, every Wednesday night with, every day of our lives. We step out of our front door, and that's our message. But we're linked up. We share one God, one Spirit, one mediator, the Christ. And in sharing that, we're linked up much like these legionnaires were linked up with their shields. Not only for, for effectiveness in battle, but for protection. For caring for one another. For shoring one another up. For building one another up. That's why the Word says that the gifts were given to do what? To build up the body. For works of service. That's why I preach. That's why Ben preaches. That's why any of the elders preach. That's why the teachers teach here. And that's why we teach what we teach here. I tell you for, for certain and sure over these last several weeks as I have been working at developing sermons. I, I, I don't know if I shared with Ben but I'll share it right now. Uh, I have, I have developed uh, an even greater admiration and respect because this is not easy. This is not easy. I was talking to Aaron earlier, and I think it was Spurgeon. I, I think that's what I told, told Aaron it was. Spurgeon who said to preach, to really preach is to die naked every Sunday and to know you have to do it next week all over again. Every week as, you, as we develop, every week as, you're, as your teacher works on what he's going to teach that next Sunday, or, or, or say Scott works for Wednesday night, or Ben works for Wednesday night, or any of us work to find out what it is that God wants taught here. It's not just to hear ourselves talk, and it's not just to, to, to find something cool to say, and it's not to give audiovisual stuff, okay? It's not to, 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 to entice you or please you, it is to equip you to do the works. And we do them side by side. We do them with one another. Yes, I was asked this morning, do we have individual works that are special for us? Certainly we do. And the example that I can throw out there is Philip meeting the man on the road. That was his. And the example, other example I can throw out is, is the response that, or the interaction with, with, uh, uh, that we read about in John where uh, Peter, I think it was John, where Pe- the, the, the breakfast the fish breakfast, where, God, where, where Christ looks at Peter and he says, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you. And here's what you do, Peter. You feed my sheep. Or the place where 
Jesus looks at Peter also again, and Peter says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And he says, you will, and Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, and I have prayed for you, and when you return, do what? Strengthen the brethren. That was Peter's work. That was Peter's work. But as a body, as the church of God, as the, as the ensigns fair, as we lift up that banner, we march as one. And we march together. And we march against a world that does not know. And much of the world that does not want to know. And that's how we march. So we link our shields and we go. We step out. The work is not exclusive to a limited group of Christians in a specific field, specific field in a certain location with a certain vocation. I'm telling you, I'm going to say it very clearly and plainly, it's not just the preacher's job. It's your job and it's my job to speak God's Word into the hearts and lives of those that we encounter. After the shield of faith, we have the helmet of salvation. Two helmets. Obviously, one of those helmets is not Roman. Notice in the Roman helmet un, how unlike it is, the, is in, in uh, comparison to the, this medieval helmet. What do you see the big difference is? The face, right? There's no... There's no face thing. That thing on the top was just an insignia of, on, the, on the top of the Romans. It didn't come down and cover their eyes. This is covering your whole face and your face is wide open there. And I think that's something that Paul would have, would have wanted them to see when they pictured this in their mind. This is the picture Paul's words would have conjured in the minds of the hearers. This helmet on the left over here. Uh, like the helmet of the Roman centurion in salvation, our eyes are opened. The helmet of salvation. With this renewed vision, we can see what is hidden from those who are of this world. We know sin and Satan exist. We know the repercussions of it. We know the insidious nature of sin. We know there is more to life than just getting more and looking better. A la last week. The gift of salvation doesn't simply enhance our sight. It gives us sight. True sight. And by this so great salvation, we're transformed from a kingdom of darkness to the glorious light of Christ. And we can see. We can see what is in the world. And we can see what the truth of the world is. Or what the world would show us is truth that is actually not truth at all. That the world would show us that we need to be preparing for some time down the road and, and we need to be walking past those who are in desperate need, who we run into every day. But wait, I can't do that. I can't do any help for that. I can't, I can't look at that. I can't engage that because I need to make sure that when I'm 900,000 years old, I have enough money. Now, this is a soapbox for me. Okay? And I'm going to try to not get too high up on it, but I want to put one foot on it. We, as Christians, yes, yes, definitely. We do, not, we do not walk through this life as fools and idiots, but we also do not walk through this life harboring and hoarding and holding on. Our fingers are loosely 
holding things of this world, if holding at all. Our eyes are not focused on that, they're focused on this. Our hearts are not bent toward what we can get, how we can look, where we can go, what the next trip is, but our hearts are bent toward goodness. We are eager to do what is good, and we are eager to do what God leads us to do, and walk in obedience, and walk worthy of the call. I love that phrase. Paul is so elegant in the statement when he says, I, 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 I don't know all, all these things, but this I do know, forgetting what is behind, I press on to lay hold of what laid hold of me. And what is laid hold of you? Christ has laid hold of you. You are in His grip by His grace through the mercy of God and He will not let us shake Him off. There is no way to. So we march and we step and we walk and we live in a manner worthy. From this point to this point to the day we die, let me tell you guys, I love it. I, I, my Father, for all the things that He is human and all the faults that He might have, he, has, he, he turned in some papers that said He retired, but He has never retired. We do not leave this battle until we leave this earth. And we have to be prepared. We have to have it all on. We have to have it all going. Lastly, not lastly, next to lastly, the sword of the Spirit, God's Word. Swords. This is one of two offensive pieces of armor in the, in the armor of God, or pieces of, of material in the armor of God. The most common sword carried by the Roman was this one. It's called a gladius. And this sword in the hands of the soldier of the day became part of him. You look at it, it has almost no hand guard. A huge pommel and a thick base. Now, we see these wonderful Roman battle reenactments or things like that, you know, on the TV or on the movies or whatever, and they're doing, oh, no, 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 all this stuff with that. That's not what they did. This was not a defensive weapon. Yeah, you could block a blow with it. It was sturdy. You might get your hand whacked off because there's nothing there to stop it. Just barely. This was a this was a, a get it thing. This was the thing that this was the deal. Okay? This was I don't know how to say it. I'm God. I'm just <laughs> This was what you went in with. Okay? This was the slaying tool. This was the thing. This was it. And we learned, and they learned about this. Listen. It was not intended for blocking blows of the enemy. It was not intended to be used in any manner defensive. And in the time of Paul, the Roman soldier would spend hours each day practicing with his sword. Even when the Roman was not when Rome was not at war, the legionnaire and the centurion would practice with oil and sharpen their sword to maintain their familiarity with its use and maintain their ability to use it. So it is with God's word and the Christian. It must be a part of us. It must fit us like the grip of the sword would fit in the hand of a soldier. I shared with the young people last week, gave them a little preview. It wasn't quite as loud as this, but 
after a guy had this for a while, the, the, the grip was, was wood. And a man would go into battle and he would sweat. And his finger marks would show up. And he would take that to a, to a, to a, a guy. And they would wrap thin leather cord around it to fit the grooves of his hand so that it fit just right in that man's hand. And when a, when a comrade fell, you know what the Roman legionnaires did with his sword? They took it to his family and said, here's what we have left of him. This, is his, this was his. It fit him. It was a part of him. It grew as an extension of who he was and what he, and what he had in his hand. We must learn with this fitted word, and I showed him my Bible. It's, it's, uh, it's not a badge or anything, but that fits me. That looks kind of like me. Ragged, beat up, old, lots of writing on it, lots of scribbling in it. Sometimes spent, not nearly enough, but I know it. I know what it tells me to do. I know what it tells me not to do. I know how it tells me to engage. I know that it tells me the truth. I know that it is my very life. And so do you. We must learn to use it to attack the evil of this world. No clever quips, no explaining away the acts of God, no sidestepping clear precepts, no blended message will do. The truth and nothing less will defeat our foe. That's it. The truth and nothing less. Finally, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. On all occasions. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Pray continually. Pray about all things. Don't be anxious. Now, I have never been in war. I've never been in the military. But I can only imagine what it must feel like on the eve. The anxiousness. The fear. Yet we're instructed here to not be anxious. Not be anxious about engaging our world. Not be anxious about, will I be ready? What will I say? Oh my goodness, do I have the four steps and the six words and the three passages and the Roman this and the bloody that and all the other stuff. Don't worry about it. Take an example, first of all, from the woman at the well. Christ engaged her. That's not the example. The example is, the, here, the, here the guys come back and they've, they're like, who has the chicken, who has the turkey? They've been in town buying food. And he, they come back out. And the woman takes this chance of interruption to put down her pot and go back in. And she goes back into the town and she says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Would you like to come see him? That's it. Come see a man who changed my life. That's it. You don't have to be theologically versed and, 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 and seminarily fitted and 
summarily excused and anything else. You don't have to be any of those things. You just have to have a passion to do what is good and a love for those around you. And, and, and an understanding that by God's grace he saves. It's not your job. Your job is to stand before anyone and everyone who will listen and say, here's the truth. One quick example and then we'll finish. I have several, but I'm only going to do one. Acts 17. Starting in verse 16. Some of you will be familiar with this passage. It is the, the account of Paul in Athens. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. But first of all, let's look at the first verse. Paul was waiting for them in Athens. While Paul was waiting for them, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. Paul's distress. He was greatly distressed to see the city full of idols. Why should this distress Paul? Why should it distress us? Because God, as in Athens, now in Greenville was not and is not acknowledged as God. In Athens, as in Greenville, God has trivialized, politicized, and marginalized. God has been reduced to discussions about religion, political platforms, morality, and charity. We should be as distressed as Paul was in his day. Paul's action. I love this. What did he do? Did he step back in and form a political group? Get together a bunch of people and they say, we don't like the idols, we don't like that, and carry banners around? No. So, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as, I love this, in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. He went out into the city and he walked around and he said, look at all these idols, this is, this is distressing. And I to- was telling someone this morning, and that's the word catharsis, Catharsitai, I think in the Greek, was where we get catharsis. Okay? He was, he was so disturbed, he almost couldn't do anything, but he knew what God wanted him to do, and he, so he goes to the, first of all, to the temples to talk to the religious leaders. And he tells them what? We need to form a political group and, and get these idols out of here. No. He tells them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and who God... Christ is and what Christ has done through his son then he goes out into the marketplace and speaks to the the shop owners and the elite right right no that's not what it says what he did was he talked to anyone who happened to be there who would listen to him anyone now that's bold that's bold He stands before anyone who will listen. He's not looking to address a certain rank, position, ethnic, or political group. He spoke to those who happened to be there and look at the reaction. He's called a babbler, which is literally literally seed picker, an advocator of strange ideas, and he was taken, that that word literally literally means. And my my passage here says that that, um, he was... They took him and brought him. Now that's kind of actually one word. And it's to, to transport or to move. So he was taken and brought. Okay, He was grabbed and moved to some place to see what was at the time in Athens the chief justices and the guys who were the, the brain guys. Okay, 
Paul's discourse. Quickly, main points. God does not need you. And He allows your life. The God who made the world and everything in it, in verse 24, is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by hands and He is not served by human hands as if He needed anything because He Himself gives life, gives all men life and breath and everything else. That's point one. Point two, God is the creator and sovereign over all the earth. He controls history and geography. Verse 26, from one man he made every nation of men and that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Number three, he's done all these things for your benefit. God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophets have said, we are His offspring. Point four, God has set a day for judgment that is fixed, fair, and final. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is made of gold, silver, or stone in an image made of man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people to repent, everywhere to repent. For He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising Him from the dead. That's the fifth point. Jesus is the judge of the earth, and God has raised Him from the dead to prove it. Now, this is not light stuff. This is, this is Paul as he addresses the leaders, the brainiacs of the time, and he gives them these five points. And look at their reaction. Some sneered. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Second reaction, discussion. But others said, we would like to hear from you again on this subject. Third reaction, this is Paul's reaction, departure. And at that, Paul left the council. I love that. No raise your hand, no sign a card, no come down front, no kneel, no nothing. You're done. This is the truth. This is what the Word says. See you later. Now, you can see that, that the effect might not be something that, that the world would give accolades to. It says uh, that a few people, and I think it calls them a number of others, a few people followed. But Paul wasn't worried about who would follow. That was in God's hands. His responsibility at this encounter, and just for your own reading, look at Acts 24, two, uh, 22 through 27. And uh, I commend to you another in Acts uh, 26 where Paul faces King Agrippa. Okay? All these encounters, if they are in any way examples of how the church should confront the world, how are we doing? How am I doing? How are you doing? How are we doing in confronting our world? The battle is joined. The question is, are the soldiers fit for battle? Let's pray. Father, we thank You. Father, song comes to my mind are ye able said the master to be crucified with me yea the noble dreamers answer to the death we follow thee lord we are able our spirits are thine remold and make us like thee divine 
Thy shining radiance above us shall be a beacon of God to faith and loyalty. Father, we would be faithful. We would be loyal. We are the army of the Lord. Father, let us engage. Let us engage our world. Let us engage one another. Let us engage one another in our world. Let us band together. Let us go and do the good works. Father, those of us who have the opportunity and responsibility to teach and to preach, let us not shy away. Let us not try to stand firm on the shaky ground of our own thoughts and our own contrivances and our own methodologies. But Father, through boldness that comes from a hope that is sure, a salvation whose work is done by action of your Son on the cross and with the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave, we pray that as we have been set free, you will set Greenville free. Whatever instruments we are, whatever tools we have, whatever method we can use, whatever, whatever truth we can convey, Father, let the words that we speak be exactly your very words. Let us stand on nothing but the blood. What more can you say than what you said in your word? Give us that firm foundation. Give us strength and desire to know your word. Give us the passion and the heart and the fervor and the preparation to put it into action. In your name we pray. Amen.